This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Friday morning means another episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found the podcast about Play by Play broadcasters for Play by Play broadcasters. Hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, it's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, process, experience, stories, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Godet. This pod is on social media at PXPCast, or I am on social media at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. You can email me as well, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U for Ball State University, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Uh, with any comments, questions, concerns, observations, suggestions, uh, love letters, and the like. We'll we'll take it all. Uh, (laughs) Our guest today is Chris Vosters, who is one of the big, I would say, up-and-coming broadcasters in the industry right now. Uh, Certainly one of the best under-30 broadcasters in the industry right now. Uh, Just left his job as the Great Lakes Loons broadcaster in the Class A Midwest League and has ventured out into a full-time freelance, air quote, freelance. I mean, it's technically freelance, but he's he's got a ton of stuff coming his way. So, um, but he's working with Big Ten Network and NBC Sports. He was involved in the Olympics uh, in 2018 this year. Uh, Does some work with ESPN. A lot of Mid-American Conference football. He's doing uh, Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan coming up on Saturday. But Chris has his hands in a lot of different pots, uh, is really good at what he does, and uh, and again, is uh, really young on the up-and-coming side of things. So somebody I wanted to have on because I, I wanted to hear his perspective, and it's a much different perspective than a lot of the folks we have on the podcast regularly. And as I sat down to record the introduction, something I wish I would have asked him about on the pod... Um, but he tweeted it out just a couple of hours ago. We did the interview earlier in the day, um, so he hadn't tweeted this yet. But he said, one of my goals this baseball season was to talk to the manager every day for their pregame show. Wanted to deepen my knowledge of the team and the game. Their manager agreed to it. I became a better broadcaster for it. Not sure how many other managers would have done that, uh, which is cool. And I don't Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't know how many other managers would have done that. So uh, kudos to uh, the manager of the Great Lakes Loons this past year uh, for allowing Chris Vosters that platform to learn and get better. And, and managers and coaches let lie to pick their brains, but pregame interviews are a different story to do it every day, uh, particularly at the minor league level. So uh, kudos to his manager and kudos to Chris for going out and, and doing that. And I think it speaks to kind of his dedication to become a better broadcaster in terms of you know, being a better physical broadcaster, but also in terms of knowledge of the game and understanding of the game. And when you sharpen that side of what we do professionally, man, will you see a difference on air? Um, 
So one other uh, thing I wanted to point out about Chris before we dove into his conversation today that I think just paints a picture of how he approaches this industry um, and this craft uh, that speaks really highly of him. And we'll do a whole bunch of other stuff uh, uh, along those lines in the interview. Uh, but wanted to point that out. If you want to follow him on Twitter, find that tweet and the rest. Uh, we always mention it at the end, but we'll mention it at the top. At CJ Vosters, V-O-S-T-E-R-S, is the way to tra- uh, track down Chris Vosters on uh, the, the Twitter machine. So with that being said, we dive into our conversation today. And we start at the very beginning. A very good place to start, as Maria would say in The Sound of Music. Um why he got into sports broadcasting, why he likes sports broadcasting, what attracts him to this craft and this field. Chris Vosters joins us on episode 121 of PXPCast. Well, I think it's just going back to when I was a little kid, something that I've always been drawn to for some reason or another. I always enjoyed sports and I've always enjoyed, I think in a broad term, public speaking. And so I think that play-by-play broadcasting was a great merger of those two interests of mine growing up. And I think that that is, is what has ultimately driven me up to my career point this far, uh, thus far, and, and certainly hope that that's where, uh, what continues to motivate me going forward. What did you like about it? Like when you started, the first time you put on a headset, what was like the... What was the drawing factor that was like, God, that was a really good time. I need to do that immediately again. I think it was just, I think it was again, just talking about something that I really, really enjoy. And that's, and that's watching sports. I think I just am someone that gets caught up in the, in the pageantry and the scope of a, of a sporting event. I like the, the characters involved. I like the atmosphere and the ambiance and I like, the multiple plot lines that yeah. come together and ultimately um, impact history in, in either a small or, or a great way. So I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know, you know, not without getting too far into what it means to have a vocation or a calling <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, it's always just something that I've been drawn to and I have felt that I've had a natural pull to this. What took you to, and I don't like, we probably have too many conversations on this podcast for many people's likings about like what Syracuse was like when various guests were there. Um, but what led you to Wisconsin and um, the kind of program that they have there and, and what got you trained uh, up in Madison um, to, to go out and do this in the real world? I think the biggest thing first and foremost, honestly, was the fact that I was an in-state kid. I grew up in Wisconsin and I was going to college right when the economy was in a pretty bad spot and there was a lot of concern about coming out of school with a liberal arts degree and not being able to find a job. (laughs) And I mean, I, I looked really hard at Syracuse to be honest with you. I I was, uh, I thought long and hard about being part of the new house mafia, but I think the, the in-state tuition was, was huge about going to Wisconsin for me. And I did obviously spend some time on campus checking out some of the facilities. And while the, the School of Journalism and Mass Communication was great and, and proved to be a, just a great academic source for my education, what really sold me was the, was the campus radio station at Wisconsin WSUM. They had 
a brand new facility at the time. So it was well-funded and the sports department in particular was really making some strides in building a relationship with the school's athletic program where they allowed us to broadcast a lot of the athletic events on campus. So there was a, a great opportunity for me to get reps and get practice and, and get involved with the practical side of, of the profession as well, very early on. And I took advantage of that and, and had a lot of fun. What's it like up in, I mean, I, and this is just like out of total curiosity, cause I don't know, like what's, what's the program like at Wisconsin? Like kind of, uh, what was your training ground like, uh, to get you set out once you, uh, once you were done? So the way that it works, you've got the, you've got the school of journalism and mass communication, and that is broken down into several different genres. You've got the traditional journalism route, which is the, I guess, more of the, the print media and then the, the television reporting. And then you've got the strategic communication route that a lot of people get into as well, which is the, I guess, the, the marketing and, and public relations side of the journalism coin. And then you can also get into the, what's called the communication arts, the, the cinematic arts, the television and film production side of things too. So as far as broadcast journalism specifically goes as a niche, I mean, frankly, there was not a lot in the curriculum dedicated solely to broadcast journalism and what courses they did offer through the School of Journalism and Mass Communication were more based in, again, like the television reporting side as opposed to just strictly play-by-play. I think what, what helped me out was the fact that I went to school with a plan, knowing that I wanted to get into play-by-play broadcasting. And so I was able to seek out the opportunities outside of the classroom that helped me achieve those goals. And again, specifically, and really more than anything else, it was being involved at the, at the campus radio station with the sports department that they had and the opportunities to really just figure yourself out, try and find your own voice, either hosting a radio show, which I did, and ultimately calling games as well for football, basketball, hockey, softball, volleyball, those were uh, really where, you know, the opportunities that I really pursued to get me the the outside the classroom experience that I think is so important going into a, a performance field like sports broadcasting. But that's not to downplay the the education that I did get in the classroom. I, I really cherish the the bread and butter journalism experience and education that I did get because I think it taught me how to write and I think it taught me how to think critically and I think it taught me how to create an argument and and craft an argument and not just pick a side and defend it but also be open to dissenting viewpoints as well let's roll with that uh why is that important in in sports play-by-play to be able to write um and to be able to I mean be able to argue something um, not in like a bad way, but to be able to hold an, an on-air argument of sorts in a, in a constructive way sometimes with an analyst and guide them down a path. And I don't know, does any of that translate? Is that stuff that, that you can kind of think back on and be like, man, that, that worked. Uh, I'm glad I had that uh, correlation between you know what I studied and, and what I do uh, back when I was in school. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that at the end of the day, we're in a communication field. And I think that to the point of writing, it's just another expression of communication. It's a lot more than just being able to talk. I mean, that's certainly one way to communicate, but there's also written communication and there's also nonverbal communication. And if you only care about one thing, then I think you're ultimately becoming a one trick pony. And I don't know what a, what a good analogy would be or a good comparison, but you know, it's, it's good to be diverse and I, and it's good to be versed in multiple things and, and not just specialize or focus in one discipline. I, 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 I've got a, at this point in my career, an extensive background in minor league baseball. And when you talk about baseball players, you talk about the proverbial five tool player, the guy who hits for power, hits for average, plays defense, can throw, runs the bases well. And I think if you apply that to sports broadcasting, you don't want to just be good in one thing. You don't want to just hit for power because you're going to strike out a ton and you're going to play bad defense and you're not really going to be a a well-rounded player. So I think that's why it's important and why I came to cherish being just, a, I think, a good journalist as a whole, being able to to write. And I think also along those lines, too, when you talk about not even having a, having an argument, but just having a discussion with somebody on air. Again, working in baseball, there's lots of time to fill. And one of the goals that I have with just about every broadcast is to learn something new and, and hopefully learn something along with my audience at the same time. And I think that that's why it's good to uh, have opinions, but also be open to people who see things differently than you, because I think that that's how that open-mindedness is how you ultimately learn something and become a, a more knowledgeable individual and, and hopefully through self-improvement, we can all make the world a little bit of a better place. Uh, tell me about the diversity side of it a little bit too, because you have like one of the, or you had one of the like sneaky best jobs in minor league baseball. Um, and there's a couple of those in the Midwest league, uh, like Fort Wayne, you're doing TV every night and great lakes. You're doing baseball and like a bajillion other things beyond what we would consider kind of a normal minor league baseball job. Um, what were you exposed to by being the voice of the loons? Uh, and uh, how good is that job? <laughs> well, it, it was it was an excellent job, to, to put it succinctly. It was everything that I wanted it to be. And I still remember being at the winter meetings in San Diego in 2014 when the job was posted and you're you're walking through the job seminar and you see all of the postings on just eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper thumbtacked to a bulletin board, basically. And that year in particular, there were actually some pretty good play by play jobs that were open. And I still remember walking up to and seeing that job description, the loons description for the first time and thinking like, man, this is what, what am I missing here? I mean, this is everything that I would possibly have ever wanted being a recent college graduate. Like there's gotta be a catch. 
to being employed year round, being the lead voice of a minor league baseball team, and then getting to do high school basketball and high school football in the in the off season. And then that actually ended up leading to a, a pretty good division two play-by-play basketball job that I had. So, and like, were you the um, PD of a sports station too as part of that? Or like, do, do yes, a talk show? Yes. Like- I, w- I was the program director for uh, an ESPN radio affiliate that happened to be owned by the same nonprofit group that owned the minor league baseball team. So the radio station was actually located, believe it or not, in the ballpark. So everything was packaged very neatly with a bow on top, to be honest with you. And I think, yeah, that that it was the opportunity to just rinse and repeat and go through, not go through the motions, but go through the process of of preparing for different sports and coming across different individuals to help get me ready for games. And and, and I think that when I said that it, the job was everything that I wanted it to be, a, a big part of the reason why is because the people that I worked for let me make the job everything that I wanted it to be. And, and so I wanted to create an environment for myself where it was being the voice of a minor league baseball team. I wanted it to make, I wanted to make it as every bit as close to being a major league broadcaster as I thought it was in my head. And uh, along the lines too, with, with covering high school football, you know, they gave me the freedom to set up my own conference calls with coaches during the week just like I'm doing now with calling games on the big 10 network and ESPN plus. And so I think that, that really uh, you said it kind of one of the sneaky good jobs in, in the minors. And I I would completely agree with that because it just, um, it just gave me some very fertile ground to experiment, try the things that, that I wanted to do. And, you know, I I went into, I went into it with the mindset that, Hey, I want to use this to really, um, get my career up and running. And I was really given the the freedom to do that. What did you experiment with? Like what, it, what was, what did you grow on that fertile ground? Uh, how did you attack it? Uh, just kind of take me through the development of you as a broadcaster at that stage and, and in that place. Boy, it, it was development is definitely the key word there. And, and I still think that the extent of what I learned will probably be a continuous process in terms of, of my understanding of, of what my time in Midland, Michigan really did for me. But, you know, I look back at the four years of baseball in particular, and I think the first two years in particular, I was really just not obsessed, but very, very focused with getting the mechanics of, of play-by-play right and proving to everybody else as much as myself that I could be the guy for a 140 game season and call every double play well and nail every home run and just be a very, very good play-by-play broadcaster in that sense. And at the time when I was 23, 24, 25, that's what I thought a good play-by-play broadcaster was. And and I think it gets back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with being diverse and not having just a great voice or being able to call the 
in-game action well, because one of the things that I learned over the course of my time with the loons was being more human on a broadcast and allowing some of my personality to come out a little bit and being more interactive with my broadcast partner and being more lighthearted and less robotic and being able to tell stories better and being able to not just humanize myself, but personalize the the players and the coaches as well. So I think that's where I really learned, I, I think, and matured, honestly, would be the, the even better way to describe it in terms of my approach to calling a game. And I think that that was the real benefit of being in an atmosphere and an environment where I called 140 games for, for four straight years. It really just allowed me the, the repetition to just do it day in and day out and get better at it in a, in a pretty quick window, relatively speaking. What's the secret to telling a good story too, when you talk about developing that ability and and working on it? Um, And I'm sure it's different from sport to sport, uh, but what's important um, when you highlight, all right, I'm going to say X, Y, and Z about a person. How do you organize uh, what's most important, the best way to deliver it, how to weave it, where to place it? Um, kind of take me on the process of how you attacked getting better at that. I think it was just getting a better feel for the flow of the game. And honestly, because in the beginning, I would def- you know, I would go as far as to like, basically script a story that I wanted to tell in a broadcast. I mean, I would write down bullet points in my scorebook and I would arrange them in the order of what I thought was most important. And I was, again, just very methodical and, and robotic about it. And I guess I learned to perhaps counterintuitively strip a lot of that back as Again, I just learned with repetition to be more in tune with the flow of the game and just spend time to spend time getting to getting to know the players. And I think instead of just trying to memorize and recite, genuinely try and absorb information that I got in the clubhouse or at batting practice or perhaps even even reading an article somewhere. And I think just doing it more naturally helped me anyway. And it could be completely different for other people, but it almost like developed the, that sort of inner clock that when the moment was right during the game and maybe even during the at bat, um, that it, that it was the appropriate time, I think, to expound on a particular story. And I think, again, it's being flexible. It's not trying to, cram a story in at all costs um you know if if you say okay i'm going to work this story in in the fifth inning no matter what's going on then i think you're you're closing yourself off to really following the unfolding story of the game which should be which should be more important and i think again when you just try and I guess, absorb information more organically, I think, as opposed to with a, with a regimented process or goal in mind, then you're able to perhaps drop a nugget on player X and, oh, the 
at bats going on a you know maybe a little bit longer than I thought it would. Well, I can I can expand on this discussion that I had with him uh, at batting practice today, and then boom, suddenly you know he's on base, and you can maybe you're maybe you're in a pretty good rhythm or a, on a on a pretty good roll at that point, and and you can talk about the you know what you learned about his about his family or his college career or something like that. I mean that's a very uh, I guess ham-handed uh, example but no I mean it's like it's easier to talk about a person you know as opposing as opposed to resetting a story they told you if that makes sense totally totally and I, I think that was one of the one of the big things that I that I really learned just that timing and and the and, and I'm still learning absolutely 100% you know to not and, and maybe it's an ego thing too you know to not just try and say okay I'm going to impress everybody with with this story that I learned and I'm going to tell, you know, I think it's just being able to get a sense for the moment uh, and and when it's right to work something like that in and, and know that, hey, you might have a great story that you end up sitting on for the for the entire broadcast and just never work in. I think I think that is, you know, there's a humility in that, too, that I think I, I'm continuing to develop also. You know, one of the things about you, too, is that you've you've figured this out, I, I guess, all very, very young um and uh and have had a lot of success early in your career so i'm curious from the standpoint of uh how you attacked that how you grew what your feedback system was um you know who what did you hear and kind of who did you reach out to to say like you know how can i get better where am i going and 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 make those steps as quickly as you did and obviously part of that is on you know you you at some point you know like the, the person is just talented and can take advice and run with it. But like, how did you attack uh, who you were going to reach out to and handling advice and, and putting it into practice and uh, all of those things? Well, I think part of it really had to do with the, with the job that I had for four years in Michigan. It was a, it was a year round job. And I mean, you know, as well as anyone that the sports calendar is 24 seven, 365 days a year. And so, I mean, I, I went from a full five months of minor league baseball, right into a, a high school football season. And then from there, right into a, a pretty extensive basketball season as well. So I was always just coming into contact with people. And I think it was, I think that as much as anything was kind of the spur to um, keep me in a constant state of self-evaluation and self-critique of my own work, which is really important. And then, you know, as I learned, I guess it was kind of a, you know, an evolving process as well. When I would, when I would listen to myself and, and hear things and think, man, I, you know, am I doing this right? Or is, you know, am I getting my point across here? I would ultimately ask somebody for their feedback or their opinion. And then, they would ultimately say, Hey, you know, I think you're doing a good job of this, but why don't you work on this? And so it started the process all over again of, okay, I'm going to try something new in this broadcast and I'll, you know, try it out for a broadcast or five or seven, and I'm going to send it to somebody else and say, Hey, I've been working on this. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And I would never limit myself to the kind of people that I reached out to as well. I mean, there are lots of other young broadcasters that I would consider peers that I reached out to, um, for, for feedback. And there were also people 
that I would consider mentors as play-by-play broadcasters that I reached out to to people that were that are ahead of me on the career path and perhaps in a position that I want to be someday. And then I would also reach out to people outside of the industry. I mean, like friends some of the time, like like some of my good college buddies. Occasionally, I would just ask, hey, like, you know, what do you think of this? Am I do I sound like myself? You know, Um, that's a a good question, too, actually. I think like I think like producers and directors and people that are on the back end of broadcasts are really, really important to to be in communication with as well, because I think that they have really just a critical eye and ear for the overall projection of a broadcast. And I think you can get some great information from from them as well. But I'll also say at, at the risk of rambling on a little bit that, you know, it's tough because there were I think part of part of the reason why I'm at this current stage in my career is because I've I've shut down some channels and areas of my life that perhaps, um, you know, would make it seem that I don't have a lot of balance. I mean, it's because I really, really love what I do. But, you know, there were there were lots of working nights and weekends. I mean, you pass up a lot of social opportunities. I mean, I'm. I'm still single, which, uh, you know, is fine, but I see a lot of my friends and peers both in and out of the industry now starting to, I'm just going to tell you that that's a good thing because that's what everyone tells me. So I'm just going to pass the advice down. (laughs) I don't know what it means, but it's just that that's a good thing. (laughs) Well, thank you. I get, you know, but hey, but look, like, I mean, I've had, you know, you're always there's an opportunity cost to everything, I guess. And, you know, so I've pushed myself career wise is what I'm trying to say at, at the expense of of some other areas in my life as well. And so, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. It's just the choice that I have made. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm living with. Uh, when did you first decide, like, you know what, I, I feel like I'm good enough to contact an agent and kind of go that route and say, like, I, I feel like I'm good enough that someone, uh, that I want someone to represent me and, and have that uh, going forward. And what's that well, process like? Cause they, I mean, I imagine they say yes and no and give you feedback, etc. Yeah. Well, and, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't reach a point where I thought that I was good enough to court an, an agency or even a, a specific agent. It was really serendipity, to be honest with you. I was kind of going through my, my regular routine of just sending my stuff out. And someone passed along, someone that I reached out to just passed along my tape that I had sent to uh, his agency and they contacted me from there and we started a conversation and talked for the better part of, of a couple of months and ultimately decided to uh, start a start a business relationship together. But I was at a point where I was certainly not actively looking for an agent and to be honest with you didn't um, really know a whole lot about that side of the of the business. What I did know is that, hey, when when you're ready to have an agent, they'll reach out to you and they will let you know that you're ready. And I I really didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on that. I kind of just took it at face value and filed it away and was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep 
doing what I'm doing and, and maybe a couple of career steps down the road, I'll be ready to embark on that journey. And it happened really out of the blue and sooner than I expected. And part of it too is, is the, the DNA of the agency with whom I signed it's not a it's not a major IMG CAA type type group. Um, they are they specialize really in in finding young broadcasters and and developing their careers as much as anything else. And so it was it was really right place, right time, right fit in a lot of ways that that just made it made it work for for everybody involved. We get a lot of questions from people that that listen about that type of thing as well. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious how that, how does that relationship work as well from the, from your perspective in terms of, um, what kind of feedback did you start to get from them? Um, and then maybe how does your career start to change a little bit once you, once you have that person, uh, working with you? I think that it's really like everything else in the industry, Joel. I mean, you have, it, it, there's just not, uh, prescribed path or a set route that people take. So I, you know, I think extending that to a relationship with an agent, you have to have the, the kind of relationship that you think fits your personality and that of your agent and and agency. So some guys just need someone to bang out the legalese of a, of a contract. And for me, where, what I was really, looking for and I think didn't even realize at the time to be honest was was just someone who could manage my career not so that I didn't have to but if I had a question on hey does this is this a good clip for a reel or hey what do you think of of how my resume looks or something like that how do you mm-hmm. think my personal website looks um you know having somebody to turn to for advice in those situations has been I think the greatest benefit of of being in a relationship with an agent and and an agency, and I think that you know it, it, there are definitely there are the perhaps the most obvious benefit, and I think the one that everybody craves is that they have the connections in the industry that we are all trying to develop ourselves, and so they can get you into a room with a coordinating producer at a network and basically uh, like the, like the blue check brigade, you know, it's like a kind of, you kind of come in with like a, a verification that, it's okay, like, this guy is. It's like broadcaster. It's like broadcaster shark tank. It's like, I just sort need of. the person to set up the meeting for, you know what I mean? Like they always come in. It's like, I need the person to contact Toys R Us to get my toy in the store. Yes. Yes. You know, there's just, we're all in the soup and, and they just add, I guess, a little bit of, of oil or something like that to make you rise to the top. And, you know, I I think that also the misconception is that when you get an agent, you just kind of sit back, put your feet up and wait for the phone to ring. And Mm -hmm. that was not my mentality. That was not my approach at all. And if anything, I think having an, an agent, has made me work harder because I know that there's somebody on the back end trying to enhance my career. And I want to make sure that I'm pulling my weight in this, in this relationship. And, 
you know, it is, it is up to you, the broadcaster in a lot of ways. Like if you get into the room with somebody, then there's nothing your agent does for you from there. I mean, you've got to, you've got to sell yourself and, and back up, I think the voucher that you've been given. And I think that in some ways that puts a little bit more pressure on, on you when you go into, um, an environment like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that again with, for everybody though, it's not, uh, you know, having an agent is not, I think if you think that getting an agent is going to be what makes or breaks your career, again, I think you're, you're looking in the wrong place. I think that, um, you know, it, 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 it will happen at the right time for everybody. And there are lots of people out there that have outstanding careers without ever needing an agent and more power to them. Let's backtrack a little bit, even before, uh, before you, you got to that point, uh, when did you make the transition from radio into a little bit more television work? Uh, and what was that transition like for you? Well, that was one of the sneaky benefits actually of going to the university of Wisconsin as a big 10 school. Do you have student you? Yes. There you go. Yeah. You know, you know what that's like, man. I, I mean, it was great to have that um, opportunity to really get some solid, well-produced television reps before I even graduated and, and that was a big, you know, that was, that was definitely something valued by the big 10 network on this end of the equation. When as a, as a professional, you know, I could say, Hey, I went to a big 10 school and I'm not only a big 10 alumnus, but an alumnus of your program too. I think that they really valued that uh, in particular with me personally. And so I, again, with you when, when I, but, when I took this job here with, with the loons and ESPN 100.9 FM, there were so many great things about the job as we've discussed, but I was always looking at, at other people, you know, who are either ahead of me or maybe at a similar stage in, in my career path and was trying to think like, okay, well, what do what do other people have or what are other people getting that, my situation currently doesn't provide and I would try and then seek out those opportunities and just make something out of my current situation. And so that was one thing that I realized like, Hey, I'm getting a ton of radio reps here. This is great and, and wonderful, but I would love to squeeze in some television reps just to continue to develop that side of my skill set as well. And so really whatever I could get my hands on. I mean, even if it was a, even if it was like a webcast, you know, one camera shot in the beginning, uh, that to me, that was better than better than nothing. That was at least something that I could put on a, on a tape and a video tape, so to speak, and send out. Um, there were some opportunities for me here with just a local public access television channel. I mean, they would come and do, one or two loons games a year. And I asked if I could be the play-by-play guy on those broadcasts and the, the loons from a radio standpoint were always so gracious and accommodating with allowing me to pursue those endeavors that, that didn't benefit them at all, but they knew that it's what I wanted to do to develop my career. Mm. And, you know, that led to a couple of opportunities calling high school sports in the area on the local community television station, um, being close to central Michigan. And uh, I think a mutual friend in Adam Jackson, he was always so great about 
calling me up whenever he was missing an ESPN three broadcast and just giving me some opportunities to, to tinker with a television call on again, another very highly produced uh, telecast. So I think it was just making it's, it's all about making the most of whatever situation you're in and trying to <laughs> squeeze the sponge as, as, as best you can. I mean, there are always opportunities out there. I think if you, if you dig hard enough to find them. When was the first time you called uh, figure skating, though? <laughs> uh, the first time that I called <laughs> figure skating was was the Four Continents Championships about two weeks before the Olympics. And was that through the Olympics, um, though? Say that again. Was that through the Olympics? It was. It okay. was. It was through the Olympics, and I. I you, know, you started I, talking, I will, and I was is... like, "You did not have a figure skating broadcasting background." I was like, "Come on." <laughs> That's true. Well, and I, I don't know. I mean, this is totally speculative, but um, they, you know, they originally they originally called and asked if I wanted to do Olympic figure skating on their 4K feed for for the Olympics, of course. And I said yes and, and was was very, very excited. And then a couple of weeks passed. And I don't know if they said to themselves, hey, you know, this guy has never done figure skating before and we're about to throw him into an Olympic environment here. Maybe we should give him like a, a like a chance, like a figure skating competition before the Olympics, just to get his feet wet. I don't know if that was actually their thought process, but I'm glad that that's how things turned out because I was able to do again, what's called the four continents championships, which is kind of like a miniature world championship event that is held every year. But in this case, 2018, it was the last major figure skating competition before the Olympics. And so I was able to do that. And, and again, somewhat, um, somewhat ironically, I ended up getting more exposure on those broadcasts because those broadcasts were repackaged and aired on NBC SN than I did for the Olympic broadcast, because I was not, you know, I was not Terry Gannon and Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski, I was doing the same events, but for the, for the 4k ultra high definition feed. So, um, that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was a whirlwind. I mean, I was more excited, I think, than, than being particularly nervous, but yeah, you know, the adrenaline was, was definitely going, going into my first call of, of figure skating. Uh, what's it like? How, how does one broadcast figure skating? For me personally, on stage, it was like, yeah. For me personally, it was just like going back to college. And again, I think one of the reasons why I like being a play-by-play broadcaster is because of the the preparation and the just the learning and the studying that goes into the broadcast before it even happens. So I'm a naturally inquisitive guy. I like learning new things. And I they, they NBC, after I gave them the thumbs up, they sent me a 300-page packet of figure skating 101 and it was the history of the sport it was the judging and the rules and the critiquing of the sport it detailed the the fundamentals and the mechanics of figure skating the different jumps wow and so it was just again it was just like going back to school i sat down with that thing and i read it cover to cover and just totally immersed myself in it, treated it like an online class. And then the broadcast was the test. And I think it's also important to, to not 
put too much pressure on yourself and try and do too much. My broadcast partner for the Olympics was, uh, and is, I guess, an Olympic gold medalist. And that's who people want to hear from, not me. And so I just needed to be there to uh, just nudge the broadcast along, mechanically do things and like getting us in and out of break and just make sure that I didn't say anything too stupid. Um, And I think, again, I was able to rely on my preparation to not sound like I was a total figure skating novice. I made some mistakes, absolutely, but was willing to to roll with the punches and ultimately at the end of the day was very driven to get better. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I loved learning the sport. I totally got caught up in the spirit of the games and I would I would love to do it again. So I think, you know, having that kind of mentality for anyone out there who's calling a sport that they're not familiar with or anything like that, um, you know, just do your homework. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Uh, you know, get through the broadcast. And again, with with time and practice and um, and patience, you know, you can you can absolutely get better. And I think if you go into it having no, you're just trying to have fun, I think that that is also a really important part of, of, uh, of attacking an assignment like that. Well, that's where storytelling comes in too, right? Cause it, cause NBC, particularly with the Olympics is really big on backgrounds and storytelling. So, I mean, if we go back to where we kind of started with this, the ability to weave in the ability to learn something and learn something with your audience is big in a situation like that. No, 100%. Absolutely. And I mean, with, with, uh, an event like the Olympics, you don't have to look for stories. I mean, the stories come to you and uh, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, it's really not like, you know, NBC in particular puts an emphasis on storytelling. That's kind of like how they try and distinguish their broadcasts, I think from other networks. And, and so that, you know, that was, a that was great to have that sort of encouragement to really focus and work on that, side of of broadcasting the storytelling and it it was good to again you know practice kind of getting the the inner timing I don't know if like it's an inner clock necessarily but just learning when the good moments and opportunities were to work those stories in and also knowing when to when to lay out and and know that hey the the story is being told on the screen with the reactions of the athletes and the people in the stands and, and knowing when you don't have to say anything and you can let the moment just speak for itself. Last thing I want to ask you about, Chris, is just your your overall demeanor on the air, too, and just the, the way that you broadcast. And you've you've kind of alluded to it a couple different times um, in some of your recent answers, but just overall smoothness. Um, you've got a very calming, listenable, I think is probably the word, tone that, that kind of just rolls with the way that you talk and when you watch stuff you've done, the way you broadcast. Um, can you describe a little bit kind of what your approach is, what your persona, your personality is on the air uh, and and how you developed um, that particular timber, so to speak? Well, first of all, thank you very much for the compliment. I really appreciate it. And I will say that it's still very much a work in progress for me. 
and is something that I, I think that we all are continuing to learn and discover as our broadcasting careers continue and evolve. And I think that, again, early in my career, I was very, very focused, to put it um, perhaps lightly, on just proving to everybody that I could be on the air as a, you know, as a young guy, I almost wanted to overcompensate for my youth and just to come, come across as an authority figure, a guy who knew what he was talking about and could handle the big moments. And I think that I ended up losing a lot of my personality in those calls. And I kind of just, it just kind of dawned on me one day when I was with, I was home for Christmas and I was visiting with some with some good high school and college friends that I hadn't seen for the better part of a year because of my schedule in minor league baseball. And I was just thinking like, man, this is not the way I'm behaving with my buddies around is not how I am when I'm on a broadcast. And I mean, how are people going to going to like me or get to know me if I just completely close off my personality on a broadcast? And I think part of it too, when I was just starting out, you know, I never wanted to be, I I never wanted the broadcast to be about me and always wanted it to be about the game and let the moment tell the story and not insert any of myself into it because it would detract from what was really important. And that was the game. And, you know, I think I just maybe took it a little too far and was just a little too austere in my presentation. And so learning to just relax a little bit and and be less of a perfectionist and just kind of roll with the punches a little bit ultimately allowed more of my of my natural self to to come into my broadcast which i think in turn makes me more relatable to an, to the audience and i think i started to care more about the relationships that a broadcaster um can have with with an audience too um you know, responding to emails and, and tweets and things like that and, and sort of building my brand that way uh, as much as, as, as much as anything else. And it was listening to the guys that, that are at the, that are at the top of the totem pole too. I mean, the Al Michaels and the Joe Bucks of the world, I think part of what makes them so good is that it just sounds like they're having a conversation with, with their friend as they're watching a game. And I think that that was something that was sorely lacking in, in my broadcasts. And I think it's something that I still have a ways to go to really continue to cultivate and develop. But I think that just learning, learning that, I think, and, and bringing more of, more of myself into, um, into my broadcasts, I think is, uh, you know, really where I want to continue to grow going forward. Chris, how do people find you? Um, I guess on air, uh, and uh, how do they find you on social media too? Well, I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm a little harder to to track down now. Uh, <laughs> now that I don't have the the, the fantastic backing of uh, being in one place with <laughs> with the loons in 100.9 FM, I'm I'm embarking on a on a freelance career for now, and and hoping that opportunities continue to grow, and and we'll see where the path takes me from here, but which is both like scary and exciting all at the same time. Is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, 
you know, I think it's, it's definitely pushing the envelope. I'm betting on myself, whatever cliche you want to slap on it. But I think that in the, in the long run, this is, um, you know, what, what's going to be best for me. And now I can just say that I tried it, you know, I, I, and if I fall flat on my face, well, um, you know, maybe there's another minor league team out there that will take me back. But, um, I would say the best way to reach me is on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is at C J Vosters, my last name V is in Victor O S T E R S. And I do have a personal website. It's just www.chrisvosters.com. And on the front page, I've got a calendar widget that I populate with my upcoming broadcasts. So right now I'm, I'm doing a little bit on the big 10 network. I'm doing uh, a lot of Mac games as a matter of fact, um, on ESPN plus. So that's kind of what's tying me over for now. And, um, you know, we'll see, uh, what else what else comes up from here all right many thanks to chris vosters for joining us on the pod this week and i know there are a lot of younger listeners on this podcast that are in the college age or just out of college age um and again as i said off the top one of the reasons i wanted to have chris on was the perspective that he has being just a couple of years more than just a couple of years but a handful of years out of school and and the early success that he's had how he's approached that uh, from a professional standpoint, but also from a craft standpoint, how he's become uh, as good as he is, as quickly as he has, uh, because he is very good and he's done it very quickly, and then how he has uh, kind of risen through the ranks um, in this industry as well. I thought it was interesting uh, to hear some of those perspectives, and uh, hopefully some of the uh, listeners out there enjoyed uh, his his views and his experiences on all of those notes as well. So. Uh, my appreciation to Chris for uh, coming on here and uh, and lending us uh, a good forty five minutes to an hour of his uh, of his week this week. Uh, again, at CJ Vosters, as he said, is the way to find him on Twitter. If you want to hit him up on social media, let him know you heard him on the podcast and you uh, liked what he had to say. And uh, we'll be back here next week with another episode of PXP Cast. Until then, my name is Joel Gadet. The music is by Marshmallow, but as always, he doesn't know it, so don't tell him. And we're out.